Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to Gallery 16 Metamorphosis. My name is Yue Shen. I'm the Lorraine Hosek Emerging Curator. The display in this gallery is co-curated by Lee Rob, Curator of Contemporary Art, and myself. Today, I'm going to share with you two works of art that both came from China, but with about 400 years apart in terms of the time of creation. But before I dive in, I would also like to mention that today is the 11th day of the Chinese New Year, so I wish you all an auspicious year of Wood Dragon. Now let's talk about art. I will start with this one, seated Guan Yin, the small little white porcelain Dehua, or Dehua white porcelain figure over there. It was created sometime between the 17th century and the 19th century in Dehua, Fujian province, China. It came to Aksa as a bequest of Hugo Van Damme. If you find me resembling her, you are right, because I also came from Fujian province. Guan Yin is the equivalent term of Avalaki Tesavara, uh, which originated from Indian Buddhism, and the meaning is the one who perceives the sounds of the world. At first, it was androgynous and oftentimes depicted as a male um, in, India, in India. However, after, it was, uh, after Buddhism was introduced to China in the second century before the Common Era, um, Guan Yin uh, merged with the iconography of Guan Yin, merged with the Chinese folklore, and he gradually became a she. Guan Yin is usually associated with mercy and sympathy, as she is a compassionate bodhisattva who hears the cries of the sentient beings and who works tirelessly to help who calls upon her name. In art, no matter contemporary or historic, Guan Yin is often depicted with standing, sitting, or lying position. Depending on the posture and the surrounding environment and the objects that she holds in her hands, there is usually 33 iconographies of Guan Yin, and such as water and moon Guan Yin, Guan Yin on lotus, or Guan Yin with fish basket. Guan Yin is usually in white robes. In some cases, it reflects the Chinese women fashion. And in some other cases, like this one here, the robe opens low in the chest and indicates the androgynous identity. Fashion is not the only thing that Guan Yin picked up in China. The origin of Guan Yin, especially the, the kind of multi-arms Guan Yin, um, is merged, uh, merged with the Chinese folktale. The story is like this. A long, long time ago, there's a king, Miao Zhuang, who has three daughters, Miao Yin, Miao Yuan, and Miao Shan. Miao Yin and Miao Yuan got married after they turned into adults, separately, of course. <laughs> and then Miao Shan wants to become a nun. So the king is very angry with her and kicks her out of the family, which reminds me of the story of King Lear. And I think this is a, this is the universal rule for fathers who have disobedient daughters. So Miao Shan becomes a nun in the deep forest, and one day, the king is very sick. The doctor tells him that to cure him, 
he will need an, an eye and a hand from a relative of his. Miao Yin and Miao Yuan refuse to do so. It is Miao Shan who eventually sacrificed a hand and an eye to the king and rescued him. The Buddha hears the story. He is touched by the filial piety. So he rewards Miao Shan with 1,000 arms and 1,000 uh, 1, hands and 1,000 eyes and makes her a bodhisattva. Well, um, in many temples, even nowadays in China, you will see this statue of Guan Yin with multiple arms and multiple hands, hands in different gestures, and on each palm there is an eye. Those will help her to see the suffering creatures and humans in this world. Due to the compassion, Guan Yin is also seen as a mother goddess who can grant children. That is why she is often depicted holding an infant in her arm and with two young children standing in front of her. We have two good examples in Aksa's collection with this kind of white porcelain Guan Yin with child, diligently uh, collected by curators of Asian art. According to the legion, the infant in her arm is usually Mu Jia, that is a legendary character in Chinese folktale. And the standing fem young female is Long Nu, the granddaughter of the Dragon King. And the standing male is Shan Cai, who came from India. The, all three of them are her disciples. It reflects how Buddhism has been localized in China over the centuries and how the Indian stories intertwined with Chinese ones. If you are looking for a large contemporary Guan Yin statue in South Australia, there is actually one in the Nanhai Putua Temple at Salix Beach. So what's so special about this kind of white porcelain? The white porcelain of De Hua, known as Blank De Qing, is the type of white porcelain that has been produced since the Song Dynasty, reached its peak in the Ming Dynasty, and continued to flourish in present days. Interestingly, um, the iconography of Guan Yin in De Hua hasn't changed much since the Ming Dynasty. From the Ming period, the Hua porcelain was manufactured in a way that achieved a fusion of glaze and body, um, traditionally referred to as ivory white and milk white. This color makes it instantly recognizable and quite different from the Jing De Zhen fine porcelain. In the early 18th century, large quantity of blender qing had been exported to Europe as well as to Japan. Blender qing included vases and jars, cups and bowls, animals, Buddhist and Taoist figures. Among these, Guan Yin was particularly revered in Fujian and in Japan, but out of different reasons. It turns out that during the Edo period Japan, Christianity was banned and the devoted believers would saw after this kind of the Hua uh, Guan Yin that exported from Fujian and imported to Nagasaki as a secret substitution of Virgin Mary because of their association of childbirth. This is another reason why this city Guan Yin is on display here under the theme of birth in addition to the transformation in gender. The Huawei porcelain is fired between 1300 to 1400 degrees. The Hua is a mountainous place. Um, it had and still has abundance of wooden fuel and raw materials to make this kind of white porcelain. 
The kilns are built alongside the mountain slopes with chambers, so it's referred to as the chamber dragon kiln or chamber snake kiln. Not far away from the kilns, there is this um, Taoist temple where people worship the deity of Qiyun, Lin Bing. Lin Bing is believed to be a Song Dynasty, the Hua local porter. According to the story, one night he dreams of a female celestial who imparts him with the design of this kind of chamber Qiyun. And nowadays in the Hua, the porters continue to put their latest creation on the altar table in front of the statue of Lin Bing to pray for his blessing for their artistic creation. It is worth noting that many De Hua white porcelain figures would have a signature carved on its, back, its base or on the back. It was a big innovative move at that time when Jing De Zhen porters still um, putting the red mark on the base. It is a symbol of um, initial awakening of individual entrepreneurship of the local artisans. It also influenced the later ceramic production in De Hua, as well as other Fujian kilns, where artisans would put a simple stroke of motif as their business logo, instead of putting a landmark and paying tribute to the court. Among the many wonderful De Hua artisans, the Ming Dynasty master He Chaozong is one of the most popular. His elegant creations of Guan Yin and Dharma are the most welcomed. In nowadays De Hua, there are streets and shopping malls full of shops there where you can buy this kind of white porcelain. In Chinese Buddhist belief, power is presented in image and relics. The nominers within an object evokes a miraculous response. The concept of communicating with spirit in art is the belief that a successful work of art will have the ability to communicate with gods and ghosts and produce supernatural deeds. They are beyond human power. Hence, it's quite a unique experience if you want to purchase a white porcelain Guan Yin in De Hua. And I did so for a friend of mine uh, last year in August when I was there. Here are some of my tips based on my personal experience. First of all, don't say to buy or to purchase. Please say to invite or to ask, to show our respect. And secondly, when you walk into this kind of um, white porcelain shops, uh, fill it with your heart and try to form a spiritual communication with the one that comforts your eyes most. If you feel a tinkle in your heart, then that's the one. It worked for me, but I don't know if it will work for everyone else. So here are some more equally important tips. You are always supposed to bargain in those shops. The dropping of the price does not necessarily mean any disrespect to the deity or to your friend if you are doing it for someone else. Um, but if the vendor agreed to the price that you offer, you cannot regret. It is an unwritten tradition in southern Fujian province that the vendor believes the uh, smooth negotiation of the first business in a day will um, ensure the smooth operation of the entire day. And after you invite a white porcelain Guan Yin, you can also perform a small ritual. People will bring her um, to a Buddhist temple 
anyone will do, and hold her to circle around the big incense burner in the yard, or put her in, on an altar table and pay the monks to chant in front of her for a certain period of time. It is believed in this way, um, the nominers will awake in this figure, or the nominers of the deity will come and stay in this figure. This ritual is called Kai Guang, the opening of light. Like seated Guan Yin, there is another work of art in this gallery that displays a Chinese element of good wishes. That is Human Human Closer Bus 3, created by Chinese-Australian artist Asian in 2001. Like seated Guan Yin, it was made from traditional Chinese technology and transformed by fire. But different from seated Guan Yin, it is not porcelain but cosonet enamel on copper. Cosonet is a French term initially to describe this jewelry um, of ancient Near East. It used to be a technology for decorating metalworks objects with color material held in place or separated by metal strip or wire, normally of gold. Around the 5th century in Byzantine Empire, the technique developed and thinner wires were used to make more pictorial images mostly for religious images and jewelry. And by then, enamel was used. By the 14th century, this enamel technique had been replaced in Europe by Champollion, but spread to China. It is believed that under the Mongol rule in the Yuan Dynasty, the West province of Yunnan welcomed a large influx of Islamic community. And this is how and when Closonet was first introduced to China. Similar to its president, the Chinese cosonet technique continues to create designs on metal vessels with colored glass plates placed within enclosures made of copper or bronze wires, which have been bent or hammered into the desired pattern. The enclosures generally are either pasted or soldered onto the metal body. The glass paste or enamel is colored with metallic oxide and painted into the content areas of the design. The vessel is usually fired in a low degree of around 800 degrees. Enamel commonly shrink after firing, so the process is repeated several times to fill in the designs. Once the process is complete, the surface of the vessel is rubbed until the edges of the cosons are visible. They are then gilded often only ages in the interior and on the base. In China, cosonet is called Jing Thailand. These three characters actually encapsulate the development history of cosonet in China. Jing Tai refers to the reign of the Ming Dynasty Emperor Jing Tai, who ruled the country between 1450 and 1457. It is a short period of time but it's within this period when Closonet was um, developed rapidly. And Lan used to be Lang, as in Fa Lang, enamel. However, because at that time, most of the Closonet objects are in color blue, Lan, Jin Tai Lang, gradually became Jin Tai Lan and continues nowadays. It's interesting to know that in Chinese terms, the step to apply the color is called Dian Lan, applying blue, and the firing step is called Shaolan, firing blue. So it's all about blue. 
So I'm going to use Jing Tailan in the rest of my speech today uh, for a particular reason, which I will reveal later. In Ming Dynasty China, Jing Tailan objects were intended primarily for the furnishing of temples and palaces because their flamboyant splendor was considered appropriate to the function of these structures, but not well suited to a more restrained atmosphere such as a scholar study. So in a scholar study, you are probably more likely to find a white porcelain Guan Yin. Many of the Jing Tailand objects at that time are decorated with the traditional interlocking branch lotus motifs. During the Qianlong period of the Qing Dynasty, Jing Tailand uh, experienced new development. Not only did it have a wide variety in terms of the types of objects, but also some of the motifs display strong Western influence. The enamel color palette was richer and more elegant and no longer just blue. The craftsmanship became more delicate and exquisite. In the late Qing Dynasty, Jing Tailand was no longer a court art only but reached common people and was traded internationally. The size of the Jing Tailand objects also varied from teeny tiny jewelry to large pieces of furniture, just like the blue cosonet chair by Mark Nielsen over there. During the Ming and Qing dynasty, both the imperial supervisory office and the manufacturing office set up enamel workshops in Beijing, specifically to serve the royal family. You may notice that I said enamel factory. It is because in Chinese terms, Jing Tailand is categorized as a enamel art. According to Mark Nielsen, who made that chair, he was having difficult to find a, a closet factory in Beijing to build such a large piece, pieces of um, furniture. However, in fact, there is a Beijing enamel factory uh, that can produce such large pieces of furniture and other types of Jing Tailand. That is why I keep saying Jing Tailand today. So in, next time when you are in Beijing and try to buy some, you know what to say. Due to the cumbersome and high cost of Jing Tailand production, the technology once declined in China during the Republic period. However, the skills were revived after 1949. And nowadays, the main producing areas of Jing Tailand in mainland China are Beijing and Shenzhen. I'm actually wearing a pair of Jing Tailand earrings today, created in Beijing in 1960s. There are now two types of Jing Tailand. One, like my earrings, like the chair and the closet bus here, are done in a traditional way. However, there are others, they are not, not, now done by machines and sometimes without a firing step. The polychrome paste is not restricted to enamel either. And it is believed that um, this kind of new Jing Thailand has a shinier, a brighter surface, but it's also easier to get chipped. Um, the bracelets I'm wearing today um, could be the later type of this Jing Thailand. You can feel free to come closer to have a look and compare after my speech. Around the Jing Thailand technology was revived. In 1960, our artist A Xian was born in Beijing. A Xian's birth name is Liu Jixian. 
His youth was defined by the Cultural Revolution and a relative liberalism of the mid to late 1980s, when the Western ideas was reintroduced to the country. During the revolution, the imperial arts are not accessible to the public, and it's also uh, inappropriate to express your interest in those kind of imperial art. So when Asian moved to Australia in 19, 1989, he was not familiar with any kind of this classic Chinese art. Because this kind of tradition were of no value to revolutionaries, not later to the avant-garde. He came to Australia as a visiting artist at the University of Tasmania School of Art, um, and later obtained an Australian permanent residency. While enjoying the Western culture and freedom, Ashen found himself suffering from cultural loss. Since that time, Ashen has slowly embraced Chinese cultural heritage, and particularly the ancient techniques for which China is famous, porcelain, liquor, and Jing Thailand. As a self-taught artist, in 1999, Ashen uh, received an Australian Council grant to conceive a new body of work that he titled China, China, for the Asian Pacific Triennial of Contemporary Art at the Queensland Art Gallery, Brisbane. During that time, Ashen worked collaboratively with artisans in Jiangxi, uh, Jingdezhen, Jiangxi province to create porcelain busts and have them painted with patterns and motifs. His interest in representing the figure goes back to the 1980s when his female nudes were a form of protest, symbolizing the struggle to liberate the human spirit from political control. Ashen continues to explore his cultural hybridity, traveling between Australia and China. He, worked, work, he started working on a new medium, Jing Thailand. In 2001, Ashen won the National Sculpture Prize at the National Gallery of Australia for his Jing Thailand figure, Human Human Lotus. In the same year, our bust, Human Human Closonet Bust 3, was created. It was created at the Jingdong Falangchang, directly translated to Jingdong Enamel Factory, which is located in Hebei province that surrounds Beijing. At that time, the factory had around 40 employees and had coal fell kilns. The artisans there made fiberglass cards from Asian's first negative body cast molds, which later was used as the base for Jing Thailand, liquorware, jade inlay, and porcelain. Based on the cast, the copper base was formed by beating several copper sections into shape and welding them together. Strong metal bar cages were also specifically built to secure and protect the figures during multiple firings in the cupid kiln. When the copper was ready, the closons were shaped and attached section by section to completely cover the figure. A selection of tools and materials were used for shaping and attaching the copper wells on the base. Following two welding firings, polychrome enamels were then carefully packed between the closons, according to Ashen's design. Then the figures were again sent to the kiln for firing and then repeated, and then repeated. 
The enamel filling and firing steps were repeated three to five times until the space of the wells were appropriately filled in and a smooth surface of the, of the enamel was achieved. Human-Human Close Neighbor 3 is covered by a classic Chinese design known as 10,000 flowers, with the peony taking center stage. Traditionally, the peony bestowed good wishes, fortune, and longevity, and used to be the designated national flower of China until replaced by the plum flower in 1929. A fun fact for you, in current-day China, there's no designated national flower because people are still debating between peony and plum flower. The city of Asian sculptures usually remain anonymous. They are ordinary people in his life, including his wife, his daughter and son, his father, his brother, his friends, his friends' friends, and even total strangers who is willing to pose for him as a model for a copy from life method. Through this practice, Asian is trying to achieve the ideal of de-defecation. For example, our sitter here represents the diversity of human beings as an ordinary individual. In contrast to the flamboyant flowers, the face of the bust exudes an unease. The eyes are closed and the face is expressionless. It is in a state of deep meditation, seeing and reflecting the meaning of life and death, past and present, old yet new, serene and disturbing, harmony but confrontational, temporary or forever. Disturbing and confounding, the dual potential of the design that envelopes the figure suffocates the figure under the beauty of the flowers. In an interview, Ashen states that the quest for beauty is paramount, but beauty, like life itself, is transient. Like Ashen, after I moved to Australia, I was once also suffered from cultural loss and even without noticing it. It wasn't until I started working for AXA here that I had a chance to reconnect with my roots. Hence, it's really my privilege today to share with you these two works of art from China. And I hope that Guanyin will bring you protection and the peony on the Kosane bus will bring you all a fabulous year. Thank you.